Welcome to week number four of our series called Dear Synergy. Um, In this series, we're attempting to evaluate the church as a whole so that we can evaluate our church locally and uh, with, with the goal to be a church that pleases God. Now, evaluations are normal in our lives. Um, chances are, uh, possibly the cell phone that you use today is because you heard someone say things they liked about it and you heard some people say things they didn't like about other types of phones and so you evaluated in your mind what type of phone do I want based on people's reviews. Chances are, possibly, you made a car purchase based on someone's evaluation. Do you like that car? You went and asked people that had a car you were thinking about purchasing. Uh, Possibly your home floor plan. You bought a home, you built a home based around an experience that you had in someone else's home. You said, you know, I really like this floor plan. I like the way it feels. Uh, You potentially, if you were building a house, talked to people with similar house plans as you were getting ready to build and you asked them, what things would you change if you could? And some of you made some amendments to some floor plans because you heard some things that were negative about the house that you were going to build. And so the same thing goes across the board in our lives. We're accustomed to evaluating things and responding based on those evaluations, whether it's relationships or friendships or jobs, you name it. And so what we're trying to do is say, if we want to be the best church that we can be, if we want to be a church that pleases God, then what kind of evaluation standard can we look to so that we can determine who we want to be and how we're going to get there. And you know, there's a lot of evaluations that go into churches. In the period, in the months before we launched this church, Lindsay and I and actually a group of people, we would actually travel and visit different churches. And we would, in our minds, be evaluating, you know, the type of music, the style of worship, the dress code, the environment. And a lot of you may be here today based on an evaluation. Maybe you heard someone say they love this church. Maybe you uh, were looking for a church that was different from a church that you were a part of. And you asked questions. You came and experienced for yourself. And in your mind, you're thinking, is this the type of church that I want to be a part of? Do I believe what they believe? Do I enjoy? Do I get anything out of it? And a lot of times we look to the music and the style of music and we say, I want a church that has this style of music. And we look at the preaching and we say, I want a church that has a preacher that either will get in my face and yell at me or will just talk to me in love and not yell at me. I get enough yelling at home. So some people, you know, would say, I don't want anybody else yelling at me. What kind of environment do you want to be? What kind of dress code? And so there's all kind of evaluations that people have for churches. And that's why there's so many different churches. And that's why there's so many different denominations And so when we were looking at what kind of church do we want to be, we were basing a lot of our evaluation on those tangible experiences. What do we think the people we're trying to reach would want to experience, and how can we become a church that will reach those type of people? But the more I was kind of reading through Revelation a couple of months ago, and I came across seven letters that were written to seven different churches in this book of Revelation. Revelation is just that. It's a revelation that was given to the disciple named John. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. And in this revelation, Jesus spoke to him and told him to write down these letters and send them to seven churches. And these letters are basically evaluations, evaluations of seven different churches. And he sends them these evaluations and he has some good things to say about the churches. He has some bad things to say to the churches, some things that he commends them for and tells them they're doing really well and then some things that he corrects them for that they're not doing very well. And it just kind of hit me 
as I was reading, like, if Jesus were to write a letter to our church, if he were to send us an email, what would he say? What would he be pleased with? What would he be disappointed in? What would he say needs to be changed or fixed? And what would he say, keep doing this, you're doing really well? And as my imagination went a thousand miles an hour trying to figure out what he would say, it became clear to me that he's already made seven statements to seven different churches. And so we already know what pleases Jesus in some ways. And so each week of this series, we're looking at one of the letters to one of the churches and just saying, what did Jesus say to this church and what can we learn from that so that we can become a church that pleases him? So obviously, if he says words of correction, then we would want to avoid those pitfalls in our own church. And if he gives words of encouragement, we would want to make sure that we've embraced those things in our church so that we can be a church that pleases Jesus. So, so this is week four, and today we're going to be looking at a letter to the church in Thyatira, Revelation chapter number two. And uh, let me just tell you kind of up front that there's going to be a little bit of tension today. And that's okay. I just want you to know that up front, that sometimes tension is okay. And uh, one of the things that Jesus corrects this church for is something that will be hard for us to hold as a standard. Because it doesn't always feel good, and it's not always easy, and it's not always comfortable. And so we're going to kind of jump into this letter and, and kind of look at a way that we can be a church that pleases Jesus by avoiding what he talks about here. Revelation chapter number two, we're going to start reading in verse number 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Listen to what he says starting out here. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He's telling them they're doing a great job. I see your deeds. I see your love and faith. I see that you're now doing more than you did at first. Now, this church was almost a complete 180, almost a complete opposite church for the first church that we looked at. You remember the letter to the church in Ephesus? He basically told them, uh, you're doing really well at making sure that you're not tolerating wickedness or false prophets. Uh, But one thing I have against you is that you've forsaken the love that you had at first. And so he says to the church at Ephesus, you're doing a really good job making sure that there's no false teaching, there's no people leading people astray, you're not tolerating wickedness inside the church, but you're missing it in that you're not, your acts of love aren't reflecting what they should like they once did. And now we come to the th- church at Thyatira, and it's a complete opposite. He starts out by saying, hey, you're actually doing more now than you did at first. You've grown in your acts of love, in your deeds, in your faith and your commitment to me through the church. And I applaud you for that. I see that. I take note of that. And I want us to always make sure that we're a church that does more as we grow and get older than we did at first. That we leverage our influence, that we leverage our responsibility to be the church to a lost and dying world, that we're able to look back over the life of our church and say, look how much more we're doing for the kingdom now than we once did. I want to be a church like Thyatira in that sense. But then we see the correction. And this is where we're going to talk about a little bit of tension in the church and we're going to talk through it so that it's not as tense. Verse number 20, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, last week in the church at Pergamum, we looked at uh, the fact that they were holding to the teaching of Balaam and that they were beginning to see some compromise in the areas of sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols, idol worship in a sense. And now in this letter to the church, we see that there is a prophetess there. Perhaps her literal name was Jezebel. More than likely, this would have been a type. Uh, This would have been a prophetess, a woman who claimed to be a prophet in the church that was similar to a character in the Old Testament whose name was Jezebel. It's kind of like no one names their kid Judas anymore. It's kind of like he's got a bad reputation and you're probably not going to name your kid that. Well, Jezebel would have been the same way. This church would have known who Jezebel in the Old Testament, 1 and 2 Kings was. And more than likely, they would not have named someone after her. Perhaps they did. Who knows? We have directional names now. Some of you will get that reference. Anyway, this woman, this prophetess, has a following in this church and it's based in sin and the fault that Jesus finds in the church is that they tolerate they tolerate this woman they tolerate her influence they tolerate the sin that she brings to the church and they tolerate how people are embracing the sin in the old testament Jezebel was the daughter of a king and he was not a godly king he was the king of Tyre uh, she was a Phoenician princess And he led his people into the worship of pagan gods, particularly Baal. And when she grew up and got older, she married King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was the king of the northern section of Israel. Uh, The the kingdom became divided at at one point in history. And so there was the southern uh, nation of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. And Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom. And he married Jezebel. And Jezebel would have been the woman that some of your friends may have gotten connected with on some levels. Uh, This would have been your buddies that used to hang out with you a lot. They used to do things anytime they wanted. They were in charge of their own lives. They made their own decisions. And all of a sudden, they got into a relationship with a lady, and it was almost like she controlled him. Some of you know some men like that. None of us are that woman, that man, obviously. But Jezebel was a very controlling woman. She was a very manipulative woman. She was a woman that would have led through her husband. So in essence, you had King Ahab, but behind the scenes, she was kind of making the calls. She wore the pants in the relationship, so to speak. And one of the things that she led him to do was to infiltrate God's people with the worship of these pagan gods, particularly the god Baal. And this pagan worship that would have been offered to this people uh, would have been based in sexual immorality, in, in idol worship, and eating food that would have been sacrificed to different idols. And she would have kind of controlled. She would have been a seductive woman. She would have been a, a woman that would have uh, been probably sweet on the eyes and sweet to talk to. And before you know it, she's just in your head and you can't get rid of her. And apparently there was a woman like this at this church in Thyatira. And make no bones about it, she was leading people into sin. 
into sexual immorality. We're going to see later in this letter that there were people committing adultery with this Jezebel. And inside this church, the influence that this woman who called herself a prophetess was having was devastating to the church. It was misleading people. It was unhealthy. It completely was reviling in in Jesus' eyes. He would look at this church and say, I can't believe that my people are allowing this to happen. And so here's the tension that I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning, and that's this issue of tolerating sin. Will we be a church that tolerates sin? And this is where, like, everyone gets on edge and they're like, wait, is he talking about they're going to start, like, examining my life and they're going to be like spiritual policemen and when I come in, they're going to be, like, looking at my life and they're going to come and tell me when I'm doing bad things? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to be that church. I'm not going to be that church. But here's... Here's what I want us to understand. We know the importance of not tolerating sin, don't we? We know the importance of not tolerating sin, and it's an everyday practice in our lives. But sometimes we have it backwards. So here's here's the deal. I can almost guarantee that there are times in life when people sin against you, and you don't tolerate it. Right? Like... Like you've been to a restaurant and they've messed your order up and you've sent it back and they've messed it up again and they just can't get things right and you're just like, I want to talk to a manager, right? You've, you've been in that movie where the crying baby, Lindsay and I, a couple of years ago, we went to a dollar movie uh, over in Athens and I guess you get what you pay for, right? We're sitting here and this mom marches, it was either three or four kids, one was an infant that she was holding and she sat like in the section that was against the wall right in front of us. And her strategy was to sit on the end and her kid could just play. And it was almost like she said, you can't get past me, but whatever you want to do over there is fine. And they were right in front of us. And I was just like, I'm about to kill these kids. You ever felt like that? <laughs> it's like, I paid a dollar for this movie and you are ruining it. What's <laughs> your deal? And, and about 10 minutes into this movie, like the guy behind me was the guy that chews gum really loud. And apparently he liked to sit with his elbows on his knees and he was like right in my ear and I was the guy that was like. (laughs) And then it didn't stop and I was like, it's dark. I know he probably didn't see me. So I like, you know, kind of like, dude, you're chewing gum in my ear. This is ridiculous. What's your deal? And he just kept on. And literally I said, Lindsay, I can't do that. I can't take this. Let's just go. It's a dollar. We got up and we left. Now, I know some people would have like, going and got managers or whoever come and get these people out of here, that kind of stuff. And that's how they don't tolerate it for us. We just left. I'm huge into not tolerating sin when it comes to driving. There are some sinful drivers in this world. And sometimes I feel called to be like the gospel to them and teach them the ways of spiritual driving. Really, really bad downfall, downfall of mine. And someone can pull out in front of me senselessly like literally they could have waited 15 seconds and they'd have had all the road and they could have gone as slow as they wanted but they would pull out like right in front of me and go 10 or 15 miles under the speed limit which doesn't make sense to me some people are just very conservative not in a hurry and I feel like it's important for me to teach them that they just transgressed me (laughs) that they just hindered my progress in life And so I'll get like on their bumper and I'll ride on the yellow line so that in their side view mirror, like they see my face. (laughs) 
And I'll be like doing things like this, like, I know y'all need to pray for me. I have issues. <laughs> Just the other day, literally, we were coming out of our neighborhood and this person pulled out in front of me. And I get up on, and Lindsay's like, we're trying to win people to Jesus here. Can you just slow down? And I was just like, oh, you got to make it all spiritual on me. She might visit our church one day, and she'll be like, hey, I recognize him. It's the jerk that was on my tail for five miles. <laughs> but you know that there are times when people sin against you that you don't tolerate it. You know this if you have kids, that they'll talk to you a certain way for a certain time, and then you're like, I've had enough. Like, that's going to change. You're not going to talk to your mother that way. You're not going to talk to me that way. You're not going to keep doing that can't stand that attitude. And it's like, there's been some type of something done wrong, and you're going to correct it. Maybe you've got parents or family members that were absent in your life or that did majorly bad things to you, and you're like, this is going to change. You're not going to be part of my life. I'm going to fix this. You've got a coworker, you've got a boss that mistreated you, they gave someone else the raise, they gave someone else the bonus. And it was unfair. It wasn't right. They did something against you. You're going to speak your mind. You're going to tell them how you feel. You're going to fix the situation. We understand what it means not to tolerate sin, but so many times we have it backwards. Because we don't tolerate when people sin against us, but if people sin against God, it's none of our business. Isn't that, isn't that how we feel? And it's sometimes so backwards because Jesus tells us to, that we're to turn the other cheek. That we're to forgive when people sin against us. But we're not to turn a blinded eye to sin inside the church. That sin inside the church is a cancer. And it will destroy a church and it will hinder what God wants to do in a church. And so we can't be a church that allows sin, that tolerates sin. This world wants us to be tolerant of everything. We can't speak our minds. And here's the other thing that we have backwards, and this is why I think the church gets such a reputation. It's not our job to judge, to fix, to call for repentance for people outside of the church. I don't know why we're so confused in this. As a, sinners are going to sin. Like, that's what they do. I don't know why we expect people who are sinners to act like Christians. Yet we get on our soapboxes and we say, this group of people who doesn't claim to be part of the church, who doesn't claim to love Jesus, but this group of people, they're evil, they're wicked, and we lash out and we point fingers and we tell them things that they're doing wrong. But then people inside the church who we actually have relationships with, who we actually feel the tension of like a difficult conversation, those are the people that we sometimes just say, well, you know, that's between them and God. We are not called to judge people outside of the church like we are people inside the church. It's completely different. And we have that so backwards. So how is it that this church would probably have never tolerated sin against themselves like, they would have stood up for their kids if their kids was accusing someone. They would have gone and had a conversation. Hey, my child said you did this. Like, that's not going to happen. But in their church, there was this woman that was leading people. And it would have been known in the church, maybe not by everyone, 
But it would have been known in the church that this woman was sleeping with other women's husbands. There was, she was leading people into idol worship. This would not have been like a secret sin that no one knew about. This would have been a church that would have known that there was some major sin taking place on a regular basis. And though they did great things for God and their love and their faith was growing, they were turning their back on the difficult conversations and they were allowing these devastating, tragic activities to take place in their church. And you say, well, so what's the answer? Like, how should we deal with it? Well, first of all, I think that we need to, to make sure that we understand kind of who Jesus is speaking to here. He's, he's speaking to the church. He would have been speaking to people who claim to be part of that local church. So if people who claim to be part of our church are living in open sin, it's known to people, then someone needs to talk to them. Someone needs to say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but sleeping with someone else's husband, like, that's not godly. You shouldn't do that. Instead of just saying, well, that's kind of their deal, and I mean, kind of stinks for those wives, but maybe they'll figure it out. So many times we're afraid to say that things are sin. Like we're afraid to talk about sin in the church. And our reaction to sin is sometimes founded in an appropriate attitude and an appropriate view. I think of David in the Old Testament after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he had her husband killed in war. I think about when the prophet Nathan came to him and tells this parable about a man who stole someone's sheep and killed it as a sacrifice and had a feast with it. And David lashed out in anger, like, that's sinful. That man should be put to death. And when Nathan said, hey, like, you're that man, sometimes the sin kind of puts blinders over our eyes. And he's like, wait, I am that man. I didn't take a sheep. I took someone's wife. And then I killed him so that people wouldn't find out about it. And he realized in that moment, though I have an appropriate view towards sin, and I hate sin, sometimes I don't recognize it in myself. So we do, as a church, need to be a church that doesn't tolerate sin. If we know that there are people in our church who are Involved in sin, living an openly sin life, sinful lifestyle. And even more tragic, they're leading people with them. And people are following them into this sin. If we're a church that just sits back and says, well, that's between you and God. Then we're going to be a church that Jesus isn't pleased with. So how, how does that look? What does that it's not from here. So you can rest assured, like, I'll never be the pastor that gets up and says, hey, like, I've heard that you're X, and that's got to stop. We're not going to put up with it. I'm not going to tolerate that. You know, if you just don't like it, you can get on up and leave. Obviously, we're not that church. In fact, in fact, and this is a little tense for some people, I hope that there are people here every Sunday that are involved in sin. I hope that there are people here every Sunday that are far from God, because that's who we're trying to reach. 
That's our goal is to find people who are far from God and say, you know what? You don't have to change before you can come to our church. We believe that Jesus can change us and you can come just as you are and we'll love you and we'll accept you. We'll not turn against you because of anything. We want you to be here. And then when we see God do things in their life and they become part of the church, they give their lives to Jesus, then things change a little bit. Because at that point, they decide that they're part of the church. We have a responsibility to teach them, to train them, to help them understand the ways of God, to equip them to be everything that he's called them to be on a personal level. And if we see that sin's involved in that, then it's a, it's a personal conversation. It's a personal encounter. It would be me sending, giving you a phone call and saying, hey, can we go have lunch one day? And it would be me in love saying, listen, I love you. But I've heard it said, I've seen it, it's out that this is happening in your life. And you're claiming to be part of the church, and that's not exactly what Jesus calls us to. So in love, I want to share with you what Scripture teaches, and I want you to understand that there's a chance for you to change, that Jesus expects something different from you. It's never a, hey, you're not a Christian, you're just visiting here and I'm going to lash out against you. That would be ridiculous. Yet that's what some churches do. That's not our church. And it doesn't have to be the pastor. Maybe you've got a friend, maybe someone in your small group, maybe someone you serve with on a different team loves you enough if they know that you're involved in sin to say something to you about it, to confront you, to say, hey, listen, this has got to change. Like our church is trying to do some big things here. And this can't be a part of it. It's, it's not pointing fingers and it's not calling people out and embarrassing them. Though some people would probably go about it that way. It's in love, simply speaking truth to people. And there comes a point where you've got to decide if they're not going to change, are they going to be part of our church? And this is where it really gets tense. No one wants to talk about church discipline at all. You know, we've got, we've got pastors in America that are having moral failures and people are just like, oh no, it's the grace of, the grace of Jesus. We just give them the grace. No, this is, this is a, a pastor that's involved in sin, like open sin, and he's leading people around. Like he needs to be disciplined. He needs to be removed from that influential position. Like there comes times when we have to, in love, follow some leading of the scripture and make sure that we're a church that pleases Jesus. And no one ever wants to do that, but I'm just praying that we'll be that church. And here's my hope. Here's my hope is that we won't have to worry about Jezebels in our church because we'll be so in love with Jesus that if someone has a failure or someone is involved in something sinful, then it's not going to become something that's so open that people are going to follow them in that sin and they're not going to lead our church down a path that God's not taking us down. I'm not telling you that you have to be perfect to be part of this church. I'll be the first to say, I'm not on that list. And I'm not telling you that if you make a mistake, we're going to tell you you can't come back to this church. I would be the first to go. But what I'm telling you is, we can't be a church that allows an open, public, or even private, if it comes to the knowledge, embrace of sin 
lifestyle of sin, something completely contrary to God's word, to be so influential and dominating in our church that we aren't a church that pleases God. And so let's keep reading and, and kind of see what he has to say. Verse number 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So Jesus says, this woman's been given a chance. She knows what she's doing is wrong. I've convicted her. My spirit's convicted her. She's unwilling to change. She's unwilling to repent. So she's a rebellious type spirit. She's a controlling spirit. She's a manipulative. She's an alluring spirit. She's enticing people to be part of her sinful act. She's unwilling to repent. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer, suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. So to those who are following her, like this is your chance. If you don't repent, if you don't change your ways, if you don't stop embracing this lifestyle that's ungodly, then there's going to be a price to pay. That Jesus isn't going to sit back and tolerate what the church was tolerating. I will strike her children dead. Do you, do you know that there's, there's a price for sin in your life? Do you know that your sin doesn't just affect you? That when you openly sin and you make decisions that are contrary to God's word, that the results, the effects of those sins are sometimes passed down from generation to generation? There are people who struggle with things today because of things that their parents struggled with and decisions that they made affect their children today. This isn't Jesus saying like, I'm going to show them. This is saying that there are consequences to sin. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. And then here's, here's the hope for people who weren't part of it. Verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. This burden of not tolerating sin, this burden of having this knowledge and not doing anything about it, I'm not going to impose that burden on you. You're not involved in it. So he's not speaking to the entire church. This is good to know about this church, that it wasn't the entire church that was following this Jezebel spirit. Only hold on to what you have until I come. This promise that Jesus is coming one day. And all of the mess that we live in here in the world, all the mess that we are called to embrace if we want to make a difference in this world, there's coming a day if we'll just hold on, if we'll just stand fast, if we'll just make sure that we're who God calls us to be, then we won't have to deal with this one day. That's, that's hopeful for me. That's hopeful that I don't have to deal with my own personal struggles, much less the struggles that other people's decisions have on me. There's coming a day of hope. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira loves Jesus. They're proving it by their actions. 
Their love's growing. Their faith's growing. The, their acts of love, the things that they're doing now are greater than the things they once did for God. That's, that's incredible. We want to be that church. We want to be that church. We want to be a church that does more for God with each passing day so that we can look back and say, man, look at what an impact that we're having based on where we were and where we are today. But this was a church that, that tolerated sin. Let's not be that church. I think the root of being that church is a lack of love for one another. That we might not care about one another enough to have difficult conversations. That we might not care about one another enough to bring some correction. Can you imagine if you never disciplined your kids? Can you imagine if your children grew up with you never correcting their actions? Yet as a church, we're so scared of confrontation and we're so afraid that someone's going to leave our church. We're so afraid that someone's going to go out and tell people things that may not be true because we cared about them enough to have a difficult conversation. And I just believe that we can be a church that has those difficult conversations. And they're not public. And they're not on social media. And it's not for an intent to degrade or humiliate. It's based in love to say that sin has no place in the church. And though we're all sinners and that we all fall short, we have people around us who love us enough to point out things that we may not always be aware of because we've allowed some compromises to come into our life. I'm thankful that my parents corrected me when I was young. I'm thankful that who I am today is based on a life of discipline by having parents and family and coaches and teachers love me enough to correct me when I was doing things wrong. And I hope that I can be a part of a church that will correct me when I miss the boat that I have people in my life who love me enough to say, I love you, but that decision you made, that the way you handled that situation, it wasn't godly. It didn't honor God, and it didn't honor those people. And you need to repent. You need to apologize. You need to stop going down that path. Because if we're not that church, I don't see how God would allow us to experience great things. Father, thank you for your word. It's not always easy to digest. It's not always easy to embrace. And Father, by no means am I trying to put in the mind of anyone in this church that we're to be spiritual policemen and women, that we're to point out people's faults, to humiliate them, to degrade them. In no way do we want people to feel like they have to be perfect to come to our church. That's not what today's about. And I pray, Lord, in their minds that that's not what they feel. But, Father, in the same notion, I pray that we would be a church that doesn't tolerate sin. That we don't allow controlling, manipulative, deceitful people, lead people into sin. That there's people embracing sin openly without us caring about them enough, without us loving them enough to share truth with them. Help us be that church, Lord. And as we 
seek to be that church. I pray, Lord, that you would just allow your favor to rest upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we end our time in this series, I'm really trying to lead us to be a church that responds to what we hear. It will be a church that, that openly responds to what God speaks to us in our own hearts. And uh, so we've been offering different ways to respond throughout this series. And, and here's today's response. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to stand if you know someone's in sin. And let's make a list so that we can kind of check them off and fix everything. I want to encourage you with a scripture that, to me, is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. That, to me, has one of the most practical applications for my life. And it's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's written by the disciple John who wrote Revelation. A man who was perhaps the closest friend of Jesus here on this earth. And this is what he says. He says, if we, himself included, I love that he includes himself. He doesn't say if you. He says, if we, if we confess our sin, then he, then God, then Christ is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we're just one prayer away. We're just one statement of repentance away to being completely right with God. That for some of us, we've, maybe even this week, probably this week, almost definitely this week, had some bad thoughts or wrong motives or attitudes, sinful practices. We've allowed sinful things to creep into our life. Today's not about exposing sin. It's not about embarrassing people, but it's, it's a way of us as a church responding to this call not to tolerate sin. And so I'm standing. I'm the first to stand. And I just want to invite you, if you'd like just to say a simple prayer in your own heart, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but in your own heart, if you just want to confess something to Jesus, just say, hey, I screwed up this week. I missed it. I dishonored you. I tell that lady really for a couple miles too much, and I'm sorry for that. I need to get that off my heart. Whatever it is for you this week, if you just feel like I want to take advantage of this opportunity just to respond and say, I'm not going to tolerate sin in the church, starting with me. And I want to just say a prayer of confession. And just like that, Jesus will wipe away our sins. He'll not hold them against us. He'll not count them against us. And he'll cleanse us from that unrighteousness. And we can leave here cleansed in his eyes. So I'm standing. If you want to stand with me, this is your chance. If not, I'll say a prayer of confession by myself before we leave. Awesome. In your own heart, in your own way, you know your life. Just ask God to reveal maybe things that are hidden within you. We're going to take about 45 seconds to a minute, and we're just going to confess some things. And, and just so you know, like this can be a daily, this should be a daily, this should be a regular occurrence in our lives that we confess our sin to Jesus. This isn't like I'm embarrassed that I've done bad things. This is like I'm going to do bad things, and this should be part of my life. So I'm going to pray, and you pray to yourself. Father, thank you for second chances and third chances and 50th chances and a thousandth chances. And thank you, Father, that we're just one prayer away of being right in your eyes. And we've blown it in our own ways. We've allowed sin in our life. And today, Father, we confess that. We're sorry for those attitudes. We're sorry for those actions. We're sorry for those words. We're sorry for what we've looked at. We're sorry for... Everything that we've done that's dishonored you. And Father, we...
pray that you would forgive us, cleanse us of that. And we thank you, Father, that you're not a God that doesn't give us second chances. You're not a God that's looking for opportunities to punish us. Help us always be a church, Lord, that will repent, that will change our ways, that will not conform the Scripture to what we want for our life, but will conform our lives to what Scripture teaches. We confess our sin and we ask you to forgive us. In Christ's precious name, amen.